Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Brittany Rigby. Now, we do have a little bit of a different lineup this week. You might notice I'm usually not at the helm, and we are joined to break down the week in media and marketing by head of the professional division for Mumbrella, Damien Francis. Hi, Britt. Who I understand, is it your first or your second time on the podcast? Second or third, I can't quite remember. Okay. But first in any sort of uh, important role. And you're very prepared, I assume. Hugely prepared. I've never <laughs> been more prepared for anything in my life. And we've also got our special guest, Tellums Australia and New Zealand head, David Skapinka. Hello. And Did per- I pronounce that right? Spot on. Okay, I realised I didn't ask you before. No, that was perfect. Good. This week we'll be talking about AAP shuttering after 85 years. ABC won't appeal AFP raid decision. Coronavirus impacts continue. And ad spend woes continue into 2020. But first, let's have a chat with you, David. So you set up and developed the Australia and New Zealand Telem Operations back in 2014, was it now? Yeah, 2014 feels like a very long time ago. So I was uh, working in corporate affairs and some uh, guys that I knew from London uh, decided to set Telem up in Singapore and they tapped me on the shoulder and asked me to head it up here in Australia. And was that exciting, scary, all of the above? All of the above. I um, had my career path pretty firmly set, I think. I was in corporate affairs. I was doing, I hope I was doing pretty well. Um, And then this opportunity to essentially be an entrepreneur uh, came along and, um, and I jumped at the chance and uh, it's been a wild ride ever since. So never did I think I'd actually have to have a P&L and, you know, worry about people's salaries and feel that kind of pressure. Uh, but it's, um, it's, been, it's been brilliant. And how has it changed over, what is it now, six years? Yeah. How many did you start with? How many have you got now? What, what has that looked like? It was me in a room alone uh, <laughs> for the first month or two, just plugging away there. Uh, And then very quickly sort of got a couple of great team members. I actually couldn't have asked for better team members, so shout out to uh, Amy Kiley, who's at Lewis PR now, and um, Caitlin Coleman, who's at SBS. Uh, And uh, they helped us grow it. And today we're about... 15 or 16 people with some extra growth sort of planned. Not in one room anymore, I assume, either. Uh, we've got a few meeting rooms now, which nice. is always a sign of success. <laughs> so, no, look, we, we um, you know, we're pretty heads down and we just work really hard and, you know, we've got a long way to go, but um, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Really challenging um, in lots of different ways I didn't expect and, and that's sort of more around the, you know, the people management. Um, you know, it's a very different environment to managing communications professionals. Um, this is managing a business, just all that kind of stuff, you know, that Umbrella would have experienced as well through its growth. Uh, but it's been it's been a lot of fun, but f- just phenomenal support from my board and management team as well. Mm. We're going to talk about the changes in media that we've seen quite recently, of course, but uh, if you had uh, launched the business this year, for example, or, or last year perhaps, do you think that same opportunity would have been there or do you think you'd be able to do what you did back in 2014 
starting today? Well, we are uh, a slightly different business in that we our, our sort of funding, I guess, doesn't come directly from advertising. It doesn't come from events. You know, our job is to provide a service about who's doing what in the media industry to the communications industry. And so it's a bit more, uh, I guess, we're a subscription model and it's sort of quite a, a relatively stable business. I mean, we work really hard to keep our clients, but, you know, relatively stable in that sense. So, I think the interesting thing is in 2014, software as a service was definitely a thing, but software as a service is even more of a thing today. So it potentially could have been a little bit easier. Um, You know, it's hard to say, obviously, but uh, I think that when it comes to the PR and communications industry, as there are changes that I'm, I'm assuming we're going to talk about a bit later in the media industry, you know, the the, um, the structure of it, the size of it, as that all changes, the, uh, you know, I personally think the earned media piece actually becomes more and more important because there are less avenues and the audiences, you know, are, uh, of course, they're fracturing in some ways, but in some way, in other ways, the audiences become even more important to to capture, and so that skill in earned media actually has has gotten more important. I think we're running the Umbrella Comscon conference April two. It's PR, it's communications. We're trying to track the the changes, and depending on who you ask in the industry, they can be many and varied. The pivots are really interesting. The new revenue streams are really interesting. So I think it's quite obvious that that industry itself is changing substantially. Media is a a different kettle of fish. Uh, I think we were all maybe saying that it's sort of leveling out a bit now. There's a bit more opportunity. People have found their feet a bit more, obviously, than we heard about AAP. But in terms of how that's affected Telem and what you focus on, and I guess the ratio of what you're focusing on in terms of you know PR journalism. What shifts have you seen and how has that affected your business? It's a really good question. The Look, our focus is always going to remain the same. We want to have kind of the most up-to-date information in what's happening in the in the PR industry. Uh, I mean, you'd have to be silly to say that the comms industry hasn't changed to meet the changing media environment. So certainly, you know, you see a lot more earned media, sorry, owned media um, happening in, in agency land and even in-house teams as well. So that's changed. Our world sort of doesn't change as much. And I think... The interesting thing is that as the media world changes, people actually turn to us more for that sort of source of truth, I guess, um, to to find out what's happening. Um, what what I think we have invested a lot of time and energy into is to um, deepen the information that we can provide on the media industry uh, and help people kind of navigate that. Because long gone are the days when you could blast out a press release to a thousand people and just hope you get some hits. You really need to know who and what and where and when and why you're pitching to. Um, and and I think that, you know, it's sort of harking back to, to what I was saying just before, those relationships that people have formed are more valuable today than they've probably ever been because you can't just chuck it out into the world and hope for something. And, you know, with AAP, you know, as an example, when I was a baby PR, what you used to do is you would hound journalists at AAP. I mean, you hope you had a real story, obviously, but you would hound journalists at AAP, hope they put it up in the wire, and suddenly your clipbook was enormous. Um, Now, that's gone. Uh, or is going as as an opportunity, I guess, for PRs. And, you know, I, I also sort of don't want to sound too flippant about the end of the news wire because really what that means is if you have a legitimate story, I'm not talking about, you know, PR sort of product fluff, but, you know, actual stories is it's going to be harder and more time consuming to uh, communicate with audiences around the country and audiences that may be underserved through different media. So it's really, really important that people do know who's who and what's what in those different areas. 
You mentioned the information that Tellum's providing, but also touched on both PR and journalism there. Both industries have undergone a lot of change, will continue to undergo change. You're in, you're in an interesting spot now in that you've sort of gone from corporate comms to zooming back a little bit and examining the industry that way. How do you think PR and journalism have, have fared? Is one doing better than the other or do you think that, you know, journalists will keep going into PR roles? How do you see the relationship there? At a macro level, I think you can still say that media is doing or parts of the media are doing very well. There's still money to be made. You know, there are still some very successful media businesses. So it's not the end of media. And I think that, you know, this, uh, you know, frankly, for the 180 journalists involved at AAP, it's, it's, you know, there's no silver lining there. But, you know, it's not the end of journalism. There are some still some excellent journalism happening and some excellent media businesses happening. So I think that's kind of important to put in context. Um, there, I guess on the flip side, there's never been more PR and more demand for PR and communications. Uh, I think uh, the, 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 the nature of PR and communications has, has changed. And so you know, we, st- we see a lot of journalists moving into communication still, but actually what they're doing in communications is very different. Uh, they're no longer just, and I don't mean that in, in, in a negative way, they're no longer just sort of doing the, the PR media pitching. They're also doing a lot of owned media as well and so still able to flex in those areas that they're trained to do really, really well. Um, of course, you know, it's not the hard news that the news see, but not every journalist does hard news and not every journalist wants to do hard news. So I think that there are still major opportunities if your passion is to create content and create news and create uh, information for people to consume. To your point, content marketing uh, and other options like that, like you said, owned media, have to have opened up opportunities for journalists, not just within PR agencies, but but brands themselves and and other areas, uh, including their own agencies. But in terms of PR agencies themselves as well, you know, we've noted a lot more creatives, for example, moving across into those agencies, taking up say ECD roles within PR agencies uh, or similar things like that. We've noticed PR agencies doing media buys and particularly in social. How does that change the way that you communicate with PRs as a, a core demographic? Um, and has that, again, changed you know, how you approach the business? It hasn't necessarily changed the way that we approach the business simply because in terms of what we do, we sort of laser focus on that part of it. However, in our wider communications to the industry, you know, we do a, we do something we call the PR alert, which is sort of moves and news in the PR industry. That has to go a little bit wider. I mean, we see we saw that exact trend as well. You're spot on. Um, ECD is moving into PR. I think there was like a space of about three or four weeks where we did about eight stories on ECDs, you know, something like that. Um, so I think we have to just be more aware that, that that industry has a far wider scope than it used to. I think something that I, I, I'm absolutely in awe of people entering the PR and communications industry today because they have to do far more than I ever had to do and they have to know much more. Um, you know, in my day I had to know how to write a press release, send out a press release, pitch a story, 
you know, maybe organize an event kind of thing and, and maybe organize some data in an Excel to, to show a survey, you know, sort of results. Now you've got to know search, you've got to know SEO, you've got to know buying, you've got to know this, all the things you mentioned, this huge gamut of, of skills that, um, you know, personally I never had to know. And so uh, I, I look at these, these sort of young people in the industry and I, I'm just amazed at, at, at what they can do. Um, and, and, I don't think if in terms of our sort of editorial strategy, you know, if that's what you want to call it, we can't just focus on one thing because that's not just the only thing they're doing anymore. But that uh, surely it sort of changes the way you communicate with them perhaps or changes um, I guess the opportunity for you moving forward as well in, in terms of these people want slightly different things or when you go in to tell them about what Telem can offer them. You know, maybe they want something slightly different or it's going in a slightly different path. Does that open up more business opportunities for you or more things you could provide uh, as a service? Um, look, I first of all, if we're going to have a, stra- a change in direction, that's like three pay grades above, above <laughs> my level. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, obviously when we're talking about where the media relations part fits into the mix, yeah, definitely that conversation changes because people are doing multifaceted campaigns far more than they ever used to. So absolutely we have to talk to people in that regard. However, you know, in terms of our product, our core product is that sort of media contacts piece and we just sort of focus just on that. And I think, you know, our our goal really more than anything is just to deepen that information to give people those insights for the media relations piece um, and almost just stick to our lane and do it really well. So who do we have to uh, contact to get you that uh, pay raise and a couple of grades up? <laughs> Funnily enough, end of financial, our end of financial year is coming up really soon, so to my bosses. <laughs> wink, wink. We might move on to the news now. So first up this week, as already alluded to, it was confirmed that after 85 years, the Australian Associated Press will close in June. It was founded in 1935 by Sir Keith Murdoch and since then has provided newswire, sub-editing and photography services, among other things, to media companies and consumers across the country. The Newswire's last day will be 26th of June. Sub-editing service Pagemasters will close in August and it will attempt to sell press release distribution service Medianet and media intelligence company Mediaverse. Nine and News Corp were the two major owners of the AAP and say they will now invest further in their own news teams to fill the gaps left by that AAP content. David, you wrote an opinion piece for us on the AAP this week. Do you think all 180 journalists who are now without a job will likely be rehomed? That's a big number, even if News Corp do, as it's been floating around, hire up to 40% of them in their newsroom, for example. I'm not convinced it's going to be all 180. I think that, you know, News and Nine, um, and and I'm sure to an extent Seven West and ACM, but I haven't spoken to to them directly. But I, I, I'm sure that they will be investing in their newsrooms. I mean, they are news producers, and they do have space to fill now that you know now that the AAP you know is disappearing. So I have zero doubt they will be investing. Um, whether it's the full 180, I don't, I you know, don't think so. Unfortunately. You mentioned in the piece that this felt different to other redundancy rounds, closures that we've seen before. This isn't a new idea, uh, media businesses struggling and ultimately closing, and we've seen it both in big businesses and kind of smaller startups like BuzzFeed and Vice in this market. 
why is this different? What makes this particularly important, sad, difficult? Yeah, I think, and I'd actually, so I'll definitely talk about what I spoke about in the piece. And there was something else I sort of maybe should have put in there that that I didn't. But I think it felt, that in, in the piece I talked about, it feels different. One, because this isn't death by a thousand cuts. And a journo friend gave me, sort of talked to me about that. And I think it's absolutely true. It's not death by a thousand cuts. This was just overnight, boom, gone. So that's certainly the one thing. I think AAP is structural to the industry. Um, it, it forms a big part of news gathering for a lot of organisations that, that can't necessarily have the resources um, to to do it. But I think, you know, the other thing that that is different about it is that the business model is very different to a Vice or to a BuzzFeed. They're not consumer – you know, AAP is not a consumer brand. Its, it's business was other media houses. Um, and so what this sort of says is it, the structural change in this instance is not that people are advertising in a different way or, you know, consuming news in a different way. It's actually – news gathering is happening in a different way. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big part of why it feels really different. Do you think it's that news gathering is happening in a different way or just that this was a cost-cutting measure by Nina News Corp? Because it feels like even if they both strengthen their newsrooms, that may be cheaper for them than the millions they were spending on AAP each year but it really then impacts the entire industry, as you say, that we're relying on AAP through their subscriptions to cover the stuff that they can't get to themselves, like the court reporting, like the sports reporting, all of those things that, as you say, it's not a consumer business. And I think the the way the ABC framed it was actually the the news company you've never heard of is closing down at, you know, as a consumer piece. Do you think that it's news gathering done differently or it's just the nature of media business? When I talk about news gathering done differently, I think, you know, in in the piece that I wrote for, for Umbrella, I talked a lot about how I think and having worked in large businesses like Suncorp and, and like Aon, which is a Fortune 500 company, you know, you see this cycle of things being done in-house and then things going out of house, you know, and, and, and back and forth constantly. And anyone working in a marketing team or a PR team will be, will be keenly aware that, you know, work is done by agencies and then suddenly it's not done by agencies. And it's a similar kind of thing. Um, I mean, not a, not a hundred percent analogous, but similar kind of thing. So, I don't know that it's fair to call it just a cost-cutting exercise. I think there may be some fundamental decisions. Be- I mean, this is, again, way above my pay grade you know, at News 9, but, but I think there are some fundamental decisions being made at these news organisations about how that news is produced and what value it can provide and, and all the rest. I think the other line that you, you're starting to see being run in the news, you know, I think we saw it in The Guardian this morning and, and elsewhere, is that uh, – Apparently, it started to be felt in these very large news organisations that, you know, they were propping up AAP to the tune of, I mean, I've read up to $15 million um, a year. And essentially what that does is subsidise other parts of the industry that don't necessarily have a subscription because that content then goes for free on their websites and then via Google and Facebook and so on and so on. So that is a fundamental sort of, I guess, question that that News and Nine and, and other shareholders have to decide. Is this something we want to continue to, to support? You alluded to in your uh, op-ed uh, the cyclical nature of these uh, these decisions. Uh, I guess, um, do you truly believe that that that's the case? That we will continue to see cycles like this happening? I, I think the example you used uh, was PageMasters 
um, and, and and subbing. But was that maybe not just more of a one-off interesting kind of situation that, that happened and then reversed uh, a while later? Do you, do you really think we will see now a, a more of an investment at these major media companies in journalism in, in a different variety of areas because their business model ha- has changed? I think that I, I'm, I'm probably the biggest fan that media has in this country. Like I'm obsessed with it. I love it. Um, and I 100% believe that there are, there are viable and really successful business models out there. 100%. And there's lots of challenges and I'm not suggesting for a second it's an easy thing to do, but there's definitely space for successful media in Australia and around the world. So I'd like to think that, you know, we will, it will it will be cyclical because I imagine that media will be around for a very long time to come. Um, I read, uh, I can't remember who did it, so apologies for not crediting them, but I read something about if you were to set up AAP today, it would be journalism as a service. Um, and that was just a really interesting way of thinking about it, working in a software as a service type business. Um, you know, you can absolutely see some young startup is going to do the Uber of journalism and make it software, you know, journalism as a service. So I think that these things are cyclical. Um, I believe that media will be around for a long time to come and we will continue to see this sort of flex in and out just around what do they see as the, the core and the value adding parts. Demo, I saw a reporter from The Guardian tweet that the AAP was the thing that allowed them to kind of invest more in investigations and and the things that specifically The Guardian does really well. How do you think that this will play out for the you know smaller players compared to Nine and News Corp if they don't also invest? Do you think that they are going to have some gaps to fill and can they fill them? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think they certainly will have some gaps to fill. What those gaps exactly are, I don't think we're going to know for a, a few months at least as those uh, brands and those newsrooms restructure themselves to to cover what they believe statistically is, is important to them. But there's no doubt about it. The loss of AAP is going to create significant gaps in coverage depending on the, the media source that, that you're reading. Um, but like I say, I don't believe we're going to see the results of that uh, as soon as AAP closes the doors. And hopefully, uh, like David alluded to, some of those journos will move across and, and take new roles and perhaps it won't be as extreme as what it sounds like it could be. I guess we've got to remember as well in the past, you know, I'm an ex-Fairfax journalist many, many, many years ago. Uh, sadly shows my age a bit, but you know, we went through round after round of, of redundancies uh, and it was, at the time, it seemed like a never-ending blow after blow. It didn't ruin journalism like a lot of people thought it might or it would, but it shifted journalism substantially and we didn't really necessarily see those results straight away. Uh, so I would hesitate to make a call at this moment and say it is definitely going to make uh, A, B or C change, uh, but we'll, we'll discover that in a few months' time for sure. Next up, the ABC versus the AFP. Also this week, the ABC announced that it won't appeal the federal court's ruling about the Australian Federal Police's raid on the public broadcaster's headquarters last year. 
Last month, the federal court dismissed the ABC's case against the AFP, which it commenced after the AFP searched its computer systems last year in response to the Afghan files. Now, those stories were published in 2017 and covered alleged unlawful killings by Australian soldiers in Afghanistan. The warrant the AFP relied on was legally unreasonable, according to the ABC, but the court disagreed and ordered the ABC to pay costs. Now, Managing Director David Anderson has said that it won't appeal the decision after carefully considering its legal position, but he did say at the time of the ruling that it was a blow for public interest journalism and the public's right to know. David, the union has been particularly vocal on this one, the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, both in terms of the ABC raids but also the Annika Smethurst raids, the News Corp editor. What do decisions like this one mean for journalism? We've just come off the back of the AAP story where we're kind of asking the same question. It does feel like a trend. What do you think it means? Oh, I mean, when you talk to journalists, no doubt there's a chilling effect, you know, of of these kinds of decisions. Um, you know, newsrooms, the the best, I guess, in journalism. Oh, sorry, the best part of journalism, I guess, is having fearless journalists who aren't afraid to go after the hard stories. Um, and in fact, a hundred years ago, when I was first starting out in PR, I was a very small part of the original Australia's Right to Know campaign. Um, I helped to pull together some events and organise um, the original audit that they did on the sedition laws. Um, so I've sort of tried to watch this through my career and seen how it's changed. And, you know, it, it, it got better for a bit and now it feels like it's definitely getting worse again. You know, you certainly – I never thought I'd see the day where, you know, journalists were having their, their knickers drawers rated, you know – it's it's absolutely astounding, and I think on an international basis, it's it's embarrassing. I did a law degree. I'm admitted as a lawyer, and it feels like one of those situations that you you talk about as you're studying the law, which is that it hasn't caught up yet. And I don't think that you can kind of point to the federal court and say you made the wrong decision. Full stop. It's it's one of those things where it's like legally this may well have been right but what it means and the impact and the flow on effects is so much greater than that and it feels I guess it, it you're right it's it's a chilling effect in that sense and you know what the union has said what the ABC has said what David Anderson has said he says that it won't impact their ability to go after similar stories in the future and that they stand by those stories and they will do the same type of journalism again. Do you think that that's true? Do you think that practically you would still run full steam ahead into the fire of stories that you know could get you into hot water? I I think you've hit the nail on the head there, really. It's, you know, a newsroom, someone like the ABC will probably, you know, give you a a full-throated defence um, no doubt, but when it is you who is personally liable to go to jail on contempt or otherwise, you know, that is a very, very scary thing to do. And, you know, you've got, you know, any lev- any sort of number of responsibilities, you can't afford that. So I think it is it is a, a, a very kind of difficult situation for journalists to have to weigh that up. It's been hanging over their heads for like two years yep. at this point. You, I mean, just thinking about that level of stress, 
that level of uncertainty and anxiety and a huge question mark over your career, your livelihood, your life, if it, you know, you're facing a prison sentence. I, yeah, I, I can't imagine it. You know, I, uh, it's funny, you know, I, I've, you know, always admired journalists because I loved debating that idea of what is in the public's interest and what is in the, you know, the interest of the public. Really. And I think that we should always come back to first principles with those kind of things. Yeah, of course, there's going to be national security issues around things. And there's reasons why you need to have secrets, why states need to have secrets. I, I totally agree with that. But I'm personally on, on the side of you know, light being shone on more things than not, personally. Saying that, I'm not the one who's going to go to prison. So it's very easy for me to say that. Brit, uh, I guess from a non-legal perspective... I'm really interested to know what you think in terms of what this decision means for media companies and for these sorts of journalists moving forward. Does this decision put a significant roadblock in front of them or in your opinion, can you see ways that they can attempt to get over this or or get around this or uh, make change and still do a, a substantial job. How how big a roadblock is this for for journalists and and hard news media companies? Well, I mean, I think that ultimately it, it's a threat, right? Like the AFP have shown that this isn't a one off, isolated incident. Annika Smethurst faced the same thing. It's a conversation that we've had nonstop for the past year, and these stories date well before that. So I think. The ABC has a tough decision to make in this circumstance because appealing the decision would be hugely costly. And so as a public broadcaster, that's also something you have to consider. If it was a news or a nine, maybe they might fight it. Maybe they might appeal it. I think it's a similar situation to the the conversation we're having at the moment around defamation laws and Facebook and comments published to Facebook, right? So the first round of the Dylan Voller defamation case, the judge ruled that media outlets can be liable for comments that readers leave on their Facebook posts linking to their articles. And big news companies unanimously said, this is a terrible idea. This will really impact us. This will impact journalism. And have said, you know, News Corp said very clearly, we will fight this. So whether or not you take a calculated risk and you say, well, you know, if nine times out of ten the AFP doesn't come raid us, is this worth it? Um, You know, that's a conversation that has to be happening. The thing is, is can you risk the one out of ten when it has this kind of impact on your team, this kind of impact on – you know, your organisation when you're tied up in legal battles like this and against, you know, a huge institution such as the AFP and everything that that represents. So, yeah, I I think it it has to have an effect on media companies. It almost becomes a bit more of an economics question in terms of the business of media now, which has changed substantially. Uh, But that's probably above my pay grade. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, coronavirus cancellations. The impacts of the coronavirus or COVID-19 are only continuing to worsen, it seems. 
Last week, the offices of companies like OMD, Foxtel Media and Dentsu Aegis Network were closed as a precautionary measure after an OMD employee from London came over to the Sydney office and displayed flu-like symptoms on their way home. They've since been cleared of having the virus. And this week, we saw Google cancel its biggest event of the year, the developer conference. Facebook and Twitter backed out of their South by Southwest commitments, and Facebook cancelled its F8 conference. Feels like these impacts are only going to continue. Demo, as someone who curates events, is responsible for all the kind of stuff that we're talking about here in terms of what decision you make. How hard is it? to make that call and do you think more companies will have to do it? It's extremely hard to make that call because there's a lot on the line, not just revenue but people's jobs Um, and a lot of people have invested their time in purchasing tickets and the commitment to actually come, whether that's locally or internationally. So it's a massive decision on a number of levels but first and foremost is public health and safety. Um, For Australia at the moment, it's a little bit easier, uh, I guess, that that age-old phrase at the moment that we're overusing almost of being alert but not alarmed um so for us thankfully we haven't had to make any hard decisions at the moment we've got our travel marketing summit uh next week on thursday which uh is going ahead uh, as per usual um there have been questions asked for sure uh but i feel that we're going to have to ask this question over and over again this year, it's going to become more prominent. Uh, touch wood in Australia, it doesn't get much worse. But again, statistically speaking, you'd suggest that it probably will. So as a business uh, umbrella, a part of diversified communications, we're obviously keeping a, a really close eye on it and, and watching everything that that's going on. And uh, we will be uh, right on the pulse of, of making, you know, smart decisions that are in the best interests of, of the, our, our delegates and, and people's uh, health and safety. Now, David, a phrase that Damo used there was alert but not alarmed, which I feel like is the sensible and correct approach. It feels like this week, though, people have jumped into alarm. Uh, the question that we were asked by Zoe, our producer, before we started recording to test our levels was, what's the weirdest thing your supermarket has sold out of? Because toilet paper gate is a thing that's apparently (laughs) trending on Twitter and people are like stockpiling pasta and rice and, you know, tinned goods and nappies, Damo said, in, in preparation for some kind of apocalyptic quarantine that hasn't happened yet. Now, how does that impact the industry? Because Sure, you can say the coronavirus won't cancel the Olympics. It won't change where we invest. It won't change how we do business. But if consumers are changing their behaviour, surely the industry at some point has to think, oh, God, we've got a problem here. Well, I can tell you how it impacted me. I was meant to be going to Thailand in a few weeks and I've cancelled that trip. Um, Just the idea of being stuck in a quarantine station in Thailand with no air conditioning (laughs) was not my idea of a holiday. So I decided to cancel that. And I think, you know, I mean, I joke, but really I'm not the only person. I think, as as you say, people are changing behaviours. I think that's an opportunity as well. I mean, I would love to see the sales statistics (laughs) for toilet paper over the last 48 hours and what that does for retail spending. Mm. (laughs) Um, I mean, those numbers. Retail needs the the ad spend. So who knows, this could be it. 
I think, you know, I mean, the, the PR in me always kind of goes, what's the opportunity here? Um, and you've got to do it respectfully and you've got to do it in a clever way. But, you know, there is some great opportunity for, for, for some quite pointed marketing around this, I think. There's quite a lot of back and forth about the Olympics in particular and whether or not that will go ahead. Obviously, it impacts our industry hugely and in that Seven have the TV rights and CEO James Warburton is kind of been very externally confident that it will go ahead. Obviously, you know, everyone's fingers at seven would be crossed hoping that that's the case. What are are you hearing in market? What are your thoughts? How likely is it that all things will go ahead as planned and run smoothly? Yeah, um, well, some team members of mine were actually did a did a newsroom visit with Seven News the other day. Um, I mean, this was maybe a couple of weeks ago, but all going full steam ahead. Was chatting to someone else who's going to be running the um, this Australian Olympic Committee's uh, website from Tokyo, and apparently still going ahead. So, in that sense, I think everyone's planning for it. In fact, I saw the other day, it might have been even on my umbrella, that Croc Media just got, I think, the AM or FM rights, radio rights. Um, so people are still doing deals around this. Um, I, you know, as someone who has to cancel a holiday, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, not as optimistic. <laughs> I think, I think we're going to see some big disruptions. I think people are genuinely really scared, just what, to be honest. Yeah. What do you reckon, Demo? I know that you're a big Formula One an auto fan. And I've heard that a bunch of those sorts of events have been cancelled. I was chatting to someone in the industry the other day who has an upcoming trip planned for Vietnam. And I think it's, is it the Vietnam F1? That Vietnamese is- Grand Prix, first one this year. It, it's on shaky ground, no no doubt. I, I spoke to Ellie Norman, who's the, the marketing director of Formula One a few nights ago, who's keynoting our uh, automotive marketing summit in Melbourne on March 17th. Check out nice the plugs plug. I've got in there. Um, I'm impressed with my own memory. Um, look, she, like us, again, uh, alert, not alarmed. Um, they've cancelled the Chinese Grand Prix. Uh, Formula E has cancelled uh, a few races. MotoGP has done the same thing. You've got to question the Olympics. Uh, it's It's on shaky ground at the moment. Again, people's health and safety has to come first. Uh, so it's going to be a really interesting year. Look, that's just sport. Obviously, there is a lot of major entertainment uh, that's going on uh, this year. There's a lot of large-scale events, as you uh, mentioned before, Britt, that have been cancelled and more that will be cancelled, uh, I'm sure. In Australia in particular, I think, you know, if you look at the broader economic circumstances, there's still talk that by the end of the year we're going to be in recession. The RBA dropped interest rates or, you know, if you believe what, what we're being told was almost forced to drop interest rates because of coronavirus recently, didn't want to do it because the housing market is uh, so buoyant at the moment. This is creating all sorts of flux and it will have an impact on the media and marketing industry. That is without doubt. What that impact is, uh, is kind of anyone's guess at the moment because uh, I think there's an equal number of people who will say in situations like this – there are substantial opportunities for different businesses. You know, to David's point, you've got to be careful about them. Uh, you've got to be respectful about them. But there are certain opportunities that will reveal themselves to to people and businesses who are ready to take those opportunities. And they're many and varied. Uh, but it will also 
create havoc for others who are in difficult positions uh, dealing with circumstances that they can't change or don't have the power to change them very much. That may very well be the Olympics or it may not. Uh, as you said before, it's been a bunch of, of motor races. You know, as big a fan as I am, I'd argue that that's not really going to change the lives of too many people, but it will have a significant impact on uh, on dollars coming into those businesses and, and people involved in them. So it, there's a lot of question marks at the moment, um, and I'm not sure that whatever I hear in, in media from different commentators, I'm not sure I believe any of it at the moment without a small dose of scepticism. But I'm pretty sure that we come the middle of the year or sometime around, we'll we'll have a much better grasp on exactly what we're dealing with here. Uh, And hopefully, like I said before, it's uh, not as bad as we expect and toilet roll supply has uh, gone back to normal. I will be interested to see just how particularly bigger holding groups respond, for example, because you've if you're working in a business that has offices all over the world, you've constantly got people coming in and out of those offices, like we saw at OMD and Omnicom Media Group last week. So it will be interesting whether or not there's kind of internal travel bans. I know people's work trips over to London and the US have been, you know, cancelled because of it. How do you, as big agencies, still have that kind of global interaction and collaboration and business as usual approach while actually really having to make sure that, you know, long-term productivity doesn't suffer because you've either got everyone working from home indefinitely or you've got people quarantined. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll be interested to see how particularly holding groups and bigger media companies deal with it. I mean, we've got an office in Hong Kong and, you know, both because of political unrest and coronavirus, we've had people working from home. And it's really interesting. I mean, if you've got good staff you can trust, that's brilliant, as I think we do. Um, but I I think that if the coronavirus can kill off two things, I would be so happy. If I, and this is actually not in my telem life, but in previous lives, if I never had to travel around the world for a meaningless meeting ever again, I would be so happy. And if I never had to do that awkward, do I go in for the kiss? Do I do a handshake? If we can just like accept we're in the same room as each other, that would be great. I would, just if, high five everyone. Ex- no, but just like air high five. Just not actually I saw touch. people just, suggesting to like bump elbows. Yeah, bump elbows, bump like soles of your feet. Like there's all those ridiculous things. Like let's just like accept we're just saying hi. <laughs> Always looking for the positive. Yeah. I think realistically speaking though, you, you, firstly you've got to applaud OMD for the decision they made very quickly which would have been difficult. Obviously, it affected uh, the the Australian office, the Sydney office, uh, and, and the London office, particularly because uh, apparently that that person had been in the Sydney office and had travelled back. So it was it was a good call that didn't last too long, thankfully, and probably didn't make much difference to their business. If, if we're to believe the hype at the moment with five G and and the NBN, and th- there is no reason really why we shouldn't be able to operate relatively well if not at 100% working remotely, uh, which is a good thing. I I would hazard a guess more agencies are going to be in this situation, uh, particularly in in the Asian regions, uh, and it will have an effect on, especially as as you said, Britt, the the bigger holding companies who are crossing different regions, having global accounts, but it shouldn't drag everything to a a halt. I, I feel that what will likely 
drag things or slow things down a bit more is are those economic realities rather than people f- not physically being able to to work or, or see people other than through a computer screen. I think the opportunities, you know, I mean, so, there's some really obvious ones, apart from obviously the people who manufacture hand sanitizer and toilet paper in Australia. Face masks. Yeah, those kind of people. I mean, definitely. But people like uh, Cisco who are doing, you know, telecommunications equipment, those people are going to go gangbusters, I reckon. Um, you know, I reckon the telcos generally are going to do really well. Data is going to be through the roof. So I think there are, you know, you, know, you don't want to downplay anyone who's going to struggle through an economic downturn. That's, you know, I lived through the recession in the UK. I worked, I uh, worked the 2008 to 11 and that was really horrible. People were losing their jobs. So I'm not trying to minimize that, but you know, there are businesses that have an opportunity to, to market themselves really, really well through this as well. Let's move to Sweden, six hour work days, or shouldn't we be doing a, a four down. hour work week by now? Yeah, What's something th- like that. Next up, the ad spend market is down again. We've now had our 16th consecutive month of ad spend decline, with the market starting 2020 back 8.2% in January, according to the Standard Media Index's latest figures. Retail, which we were just talking about, was down 27.9%, and auto, which we were also just talking about, dropped 10.8%. Both categories continue to struggle. In comparison, the New Zealand market was weirdly doing well. So it was up 2% and growth across a number of formats was seen. SMI's Jane Ratcliffe said that the difference between investment in each country was actually unexpected, actually a little bit strange because there are those large trans-Tasman advertisers. Now, David, it kind of flows on from what we were just talking about in terms of coronavirus, right? A lot of people in the industry that I'm talking to are saying we can't talk ourselves into a recession, we can't be overly negative. If we're not talking the industry up and the benefits of spending up, then who else will? What do you think about that? Sure. I mean, a recession, again, having lived through a recession in the UK, of course, if your fund, your economic fundamentals are bad, that's no one can paper over that as it were but i think you know if you need a very micro example the toilet the run on toilet paper that was purely a, a consumer confidence thing that was not a the, the economy is about to dive off a cliff and there's going to never going to be toilet paper again so i think you know it, what what i think is really interesting is you watch the media coverage around the coronavirus and actually no one is saying the economy is going to going to fall off a cliff um people are nervous people are worried but i think people have uh, are approaching it in a very very sensible way and that's a good thing i think that something the media industry uh, and and i sort of talk about this with my sort of you know, friends and colleagues a lot is that I think the media industry is really bad at selling the media industry and the benefits of the media industry. And that comes down to a lot of different things, but um, I think there could be a far greater job on the impact of it. I mean, certainly from, you know, let's put the spend aside for a second on the PR side. I have always believed, you know, I mean, I would, this was my background, but I always believe that your last dollar should go into PR because the power of editorial, the power of journalism is, is so great. Um, but equally, I think the power of promotion generally, that ad spend, all of it together, it all works together, um, that people need to talk about the benefits a lot more. Mm. Demo, when we chatted last year to people, it felt like there was this sentiment of, 
okay, let's draw a line in the sand with 2019. It was bad. The economy was tough. It's a terrible market. 2020 will be better. There's signs of it being better. And we kind of ran straight from that into the bushfires and now coronavirus. And those impacts don't seem to have an end date in sight. For categories like auto that were already struggling, how do you think they'll fare in light of of coronavirus, the updated issues they're facing? I mean, look, David just said how the media industry isn't great at selling itself. I think some other industries are probably too good at selling themselves. The, the reality is we've been living under the threat of recession for quite a while now. Uh, that hasn't changed. Uh, again, if you believe what uh, a lot of people are saying at the moment, we're looking very realistically at recession at the end of the year. Um for the industries already in trouble, just because the year ticks over one doesn't mean that they're magically going to sort themselves out. Automotive, to your point, Britt, has always been an interesting one because in the Australian market, uh, statistically speaking, for our population size, we've got uh, some of the mo- Ill, some of the biggest competition in the world. We, we've got something like more than sixty automotive manufacturers uh, operating in Australia. We've only got 25 million people here. That's a hugely competitive market just for manufacturers. So it was always going to have uh, some winners and, and some losers. And unfortunately, this year we, we've seen who the, the big loser is in, in GM and, and its Holden brand. And I've no doubt that there will be more losers in some way, shape or form this year. That's not to say they can't be winners and there are in terms of brands that are doing very well and sustaining market share if not growing it uh, and the same goes for for retail as well i alluded to before the fact that in these hard times there is opportunity as well for for those who can find it or are in an appropriate position to uh jump on the the, the opportunity it's not going to magically change though no matter what people say whether they're media agencies or marketers or uh, or the RBA or, or any of those financial journalists you see on morning breakfast TV um, it's not going to change rapidly and it's going to be a, a tough year I, I think we've got to strap in for uh, what will potentially be one of the most challenging years in the media and marketing industry uh, in Australia and we're not the only industry going through it uh, so how do we best get through it? Well, let's see. It's uh, TBC at this stage. That's all from us this week. But before we go, just a quick reminder about our Travel Marketing Summit next Thursday. That's March 12 here in Sydney. In the middle of one of the most challenging periods in the history of Australian tourism, we're bringing together some incredible speakers to show you the path forward with real-life stories and how-tos. Check out the new crisis recovery stream and full program at www.mumbrella.com.au slash travel. That's it. Thanks for joining us, David. Thank you for having me. That was great. And thanks for our newest member of the editorial team, Demo. No problem. I enjoyed being back. I'm sure we'll have Hannah back from leave, Viv back from her deathbed and Tim back from holidays next week. (laughs) 